All right, well, quick review today as we're jumping into week three of More Like Jesus. Here's where we've been. We've been saying that our faith actually calls us to be like Jesus, to actually be and actually live and actually work out our lives like Jesus. And we've drawn some inspiration from Hebrews 12, which calls Jesus the beginning and the perfecter of our faith. And here's what's been our driving thought throughout this entire series, that if Jesus is the beginning and the perfection of our faith, then our faith lived out should look more and more like Jesus every single day. That every single day you can take a step and I can take a step to grow more like Jesus. And even though we'll never be exactly like Jesus, the chances are pretty good that you and I will never actually be exactly like Jesus. Every single day, we can take a step to grow, to become more like Jesus. And so we've been talking about how we can grow in love like Jesus. The first week, we talked about how we can love like Jesus, that where love doesn't come naturally in some ways for us, we can all choose to take steps to grow like Jesus. Last week, we talked about how we can have peace like Jesus, that even in the middle of the storms of life, we can have peace because, because storms do not cause our lack of peace. Storms reveal our lack of peace, that we can choose to have peace like Jesus did, even in the middle of a storm when we choose to get over and to rise above and to gain new perspective and new wisdom from God on the events and the storms of our life. Now, so that's where we've been and so far. So far. And today we're going to talk about how we can be secure like Jesus, how we can be secure like Jesus. And I don't think many of us would actually use the word secure all that often. Like if you had a top 10 ways that you would describe Jesus, there's a pretty good chance that secure may not actually be one of the words that would come up in your top 10 list. But I absolutely think Jesus lived a secure life. I think, there's, I think it's absolutely true that Jesus was the epitome of security, of a secure human being. And I say that because we all know what the opposite of secure is, right? The opposite of secure is insecure. The opposite of security is insecurity. The, the opposite of, that, of, of security is insecurity. And there is never a time in the entirety of the gospel account of Jesus's life and ministry where Jesus appears to be insecure in himself and in relation to the world. I mean, think about this, just a couple examples. Give a couple examples of this. Jesus was secure as a 12-year-old. How many 12-year-olds do you know that are really, really secure? Jesus was as secure as a 12-year-old when his parents forgot him in Jerusalem on their pilgrimage. Jesus ends up in a room full of religious leaders talking scripture with them and responds to his panicked parents, well, didn't you realize that I must be about my father's business? I mean, you only respond like that as a 12-year-old if you're incredibly secure or if you've resigned yourself to the whooping that you're about to receive from losing your parents. I mean, like, but Jesus was secure as a 12-year-old boy. Jesus was secure. Then we, almost everything that we know of Jesus's life, almost everything that we know of Jesus's life comes from the gospel accounts comes when he's in his early 30s. And there's that, there's that meme out there that you know, one of the greatest accomplishments of Jesus's life, one of his greatest miracles was having 12 close friends in his early 30s. I would argue and I would say that one of the best things that Jesus did, one of the closest second, maybe close second to having you know 12 close friends in your early 30s is being secure. Jesus was secure in his early 30s. Jesus walked around the earth, walked around the world, and was continually secure in his early 30s. And think about this. Think about this. Right? Jesus was constantly misunderstood. Jesus was constantly misunderstood, but he never became insecure. And I've been trying to wrap my head around how to say this all month. I mean, like Jesus was the sinless son of God in a human body. Like that's, like that's who Jesus was. He was the perfect, sinless son of God 
in a human body. And when sin-stained humanity came in contact with perfection, they did not assume that they had it wrong. They assumed that he was wrong. Like Jesus would get up to teach about what God was like, and he had perfect, actual, firsthand, been in the presence of God, knowledge and perception of what God is actually like. And when he would try to tell people who were imperfect and who were trying to view God through the lens of their sins and the lens of their failure and the lens of their brokenness, when he would try to explain loving God with perfect perspective, they would assume that he had gotten it wrong and that they were right because he was constantly being misunderstood. He was trying to explain with perfect perspective, with, with sinless perspective, with being in the actual presence of God perspective, what God was like. And imperfect people could not assume that they were wrong and that he was right. They were right, so he must be wrong. I mean, just imagine, imagine for a second how frustrating that would be and how frustrated you would get if you were Jesus. I would get like so bitingly sarcastic in response. I would have so many imaginary arguments with those people after the fact. I mean, I would get so defensive and Jesus never did that. Jesus never got defensive. He never got sarcastic. He never got argumentative. Like he just simply stayed who he was and he stayed secure in who he had come to be. So here's a question. Here's a question that I want us to ask today as we begin talking about security for ourselves, as we begin to look at the security that Jesus displayed. Why do we get insecure? Why do we get insecure? Like, why do we get insecure and Jesus never did? I would suggest, and I want to suggest today that, to, that the reason that we get insecure is because we play a game that Jesus never played. See, we get insecure because we play the comparison game, right? All of us do this. All, so I mean, this is just such a natural part of life that we get insecure when we compare ourselves to other people, when we compare ourselves to someone and find out that we're not as far along as they are, or we become prideful when we, when we look at someone else and compare ourselves and find out that we're farther along than they are, that we get insecure because we play a game called comparison. So we question if we're good enough because we compare ourselves to what we see from others and from those around us. We wonder if, we'll, if we measure up or if we'll ever measure up or if we'll ever be able to keep up. We all play the comparison game and we all end up feeling insecure as a result. Let's just talk about a few of the things that we get insecure about. We get insecure about, about things because we compare ourselves to others. And so their hair and makeup always looks perfect, but when you try it, it looks weird. They're, they, you know, they, you're not as thin as them or you're not as toned as them. They have booty goals and you don't think you could ever quite get there. Their kids are so well behaved and yours seem like a mess sometimes. They are always on time and you're always running late and frantic. They have so many friends and you've got maybe one or two that you can count on. They have a ton of Instagram followers and you've got an underwhelming 34. They always cook a complete meal for their kids while you're doing the blue box of blues again. They have a wonderful new car. Your car seems like a clunker in comparison. Their car is clean. Your car has Cheerios and goldfish smashed all over the place and in between the seats. Their skin is so clear while you're dealing with adult acne after medication switch. I mean, like, and for all the guys right now who are thinking, oh man, yeah, it's a good thing that I don't deal with all that comparison stuff like the ladies do, your beard doesn't grow in quite as thick as Michael Floyd's. Like, like, like let's just be honest, your beard 
weird. When you try to grow in, it grows in patchy. And there's some people in the world where they look like natural lumberjacks. Like, like your beard doesn't grow in like that. Your arms don't look like Josiah Fielders. Like your arms, like you don't like to wear short sleeve shirts because your arms used to be muscular and they're not quite so muscular now. You've got that old man strength, but it doesn't look like strength right, right now. Your t the tires on your truck, they're only 20 inches. I mean, you don't even need a lift kit. Like, are you even really a man if you don't have a lift kit? You're five ten and a half, and we all know that real men are six feet or taller, right? Like, like there's the, when we look around, it's so easy to compare ourselves. They make more money than you. They're funnier than you. Like, we all can look around, guys, girls, old, young. This does not stop as life goes on. There is no age where we just get over this. That all of us have a tendency to look around and to compare ourselves and measure ourselves against other people. And with that in mind, there's something that's really good for us to understand. There's something that we need to understand because we think eventually if we find someone to compare ourselves to where we measure up, that we will win. But here's what we need to understand. And here's a, a, a truth that I hope will start to set you free today. There is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. Either you end up feeling bad about yourself because you don't measure up to them and in all of those situations, but you don't measure up and you, you're, not, you're not as thin as you want to be. You're not as thin as them. You're not as toned as them. You're, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like you don't, you, don't, you don't measure up, so you start feeling bad about yourself or, or you find someone that you do measure up against and you actually are further along in life, so you end up finding yourself prideful and arrogant and judgmental about things who are about, against people who are not as far along as you, who do not have the things that you, who are not as good as you, who don't measure up to you. There is no win. Either, either you end up feeling miserable and insecure about yourself or you feel prideful and judgmental against others. There is no win in comparison. But that doesn't feel all that helpful because let's be honest, it seems like so much of our world is built around comparison. So let me free you up with why it's actually a good thing that there is no win in comparison. It's a game you were never meant to play. Comparison is a game that you were never meant to play. So it doesn't matter if you can win or not. It's a game that you or I were never meant to play. When God made you and when God made me, God did not make you and place you in the year 2021 for you to compare yourself to Instagram influencers with perfect lighting or to compare yourself to the person in your department with the perfect sales record or the person in your major who aces every exam or the dude with the full beard that makes you convinced he was a lumberjack in his past or the hot jogger mom who rolls through your neighborhood every day or your sibling that your parents brag to you about their success. God did not make you for that. God did not make you for that. It was a game that you were never supposed to play. Let me just say it this way. Let me say it as clear as I possibly can. You were not made to measure yourself against others. You were not made to measure yourself against others. And that is an incredibly freeing thought, that God didn't make you to compare yourself to others. That when God made humanity and everything was perfect, God did not tell Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, now go forth and compare said, go forth and multiply. You have a purpose. You have something that you're meant to accomplish. You have something that you are supposed to do in this life that affects more than this life. But if we stop there, we actually still miss the thing that can lead us to actually being secure like Jesus. See, you weren't made to measure yourself against others, but your life should still have a measuring stick. And here's what we were made to do. You were made to measure yourself by what and who God calls you to be and do. 
You were made to measure yourself by what and who you were called to be and do by God himself. Knowing what you're created and you're called to do, knowing who you were created and called to be, that is what Jesus exemplified for us. That's what allowed Jesus to be secure as a 12-year-old, as a 30-year-old, as a 33-year-old man, as a person who is the sinless son of God who was completely misunderstood for almost his entire life. That Jesus was still secure because he knew who he was called to be, he knew what he was called to do, and he knew he was living a life that measured up to that standard. So today, what we're going to do is I'm, we're going to look at one of the examples of Jesus' life where, where he actually exemplified this, where he put this on example, where he put this on show for us. And when I say Jesus exemplified this, one of the best examples comes when Jesus was questioned for healing someone. Like Jesus did an amazing thing. He healed a person. He healed a person. Again, Jesus was continuously misunderstood because sinful people couldn't understand perfection that they witnessed. So Jesus heals a person who had been lame and unable to walk for 38 years. But he just so happened to heal this person on the Sabbath, on the day that was made for rest, on the day that the law said was meant to be a day of rest where you could do no thing, where you could do no work. Jesus healed someone. And so people have questions. If Jesus is so good, why is he healing? Why is he breaking the law? Why is he breaking the law? Why is he breaking the law even to help this person? And so we're told this in verse 16 of John chapter 5. It says, the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. And so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called his God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Again, Jesus drove the religious leaders mad. This still drives people crazy today. What's ironic is there are people out there, some who even really like Jesus, who will claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never equated himself God. Jesus never called himself God. But um, but to, to those people, I would say, I think we're missing the point. The religious leaders of the day who knew exactly what Jesus was saying and knew exactly what Jesus was doing, who constantly had eyes on Jesus because they were very concerned about what he was ultimately going to claim about himself, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying right now. They knew exactly what Jesus was claiming by, by saying that he was the fa- that, that he and the Father are one, that when he called God his Father, he was claiming equality with God. And we're even told they tried to kill him. They decided here again to put further efforts into their efforts to kill him because he made himself equal with God. But this is what Jesus actually did. This is some of the great example of what Jesus did. Jesus could remain confident and secure in what he was doing, even when questioned by others, because he knew, he knew that he was staying connected to what God the Father was ultimately all about. The very reason that he had come was to do the work and the will of his heavenly Father. That he was all about the work of his heavenly father. The story goes on in verse 19. We're told this. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then, then you'll be truly astonished. For just as the father gives life to those... uh, 
to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge, so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. Then he goes on, he says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you, that the time is coming indeed. It's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God. And those who listen will live. The Father has life in Himself, and He has granted that same life-giving power to His Son. And He has given Him authority to judge everyone because He is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. And he says, I can do nothing on my own. This is, this is the whole thing. I can do nothing on my own as judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. You know what Jesus just did in those verses? Jesus unpacks his entire mission, his entire reason for existence, the entire reason that he left heaven and come to earth. He unpacked his entire reason, his entire mission, and his entire job description. Here's what Jesus said his job description was here on the earth. He was supposed to be a display of the Father. He was supposed to come and show who God is and what God is like, to be an earthly representative so that people could know by looking at him who God is and what God is like. He came to be a miracle worker, to show what God is capable of, that there is nothing too big for our God. He came to be a life giver, to bring life to dead situations, that following Jesus brings real life to our life brings real life to our life. He came to be a judge, a perfect judge. He said that he would be the judge of all one day, but he also came to judge the hearts of men in that day. He came to be a teacher. He came to help us understand God's nature and how God's relational kingdom actually works. He came to finally be the dead raiser. He came to actually be the resurrection and the life, that the dead would raise to life because of him. And because of Jesus, death would not be the end of the story but new life would be available when this life comes to an end. Here's what we need to understand about Jesus. When, if you wonder how Jesus was secure, how Jesus lived constantly misunderstood but never insecure, here's the, one of the big things that we need to understand. Jesus knew exactly what on earth he was on the earth to accomplish. Jesus knew exactly what on earth he was on the earth to accomplish. And everything he came to do was tied to his heavenly father, who had sent him. He knew what he was created for. He knew his purpose. He knew his mission. He knew why he was on the earth and he knew what he was here for. And when you know what you're here for, what God created for, who God created you to be, there is no need or no want to compare to anyone or to anything else. There is no need to play the comparison game because you're not measuring yourself against anyone else. You're only measuring yourself against who God created you to be and what God created you to do. The only measuring stick that you have and the only one that you need is to measure yourself by who God made you to be. So are you answering God's call? So are you answering God's call? Are you living out your purpose or are you trying to copy someone else's? Are you living in the gifts that God gave you or are you trying to impersonate someone else? That's our measuring stick. Am I measuring up to who God created me to be and what God created me 
to do? Or am I trying to copy myself or am I trying to measure myself against someone else? Anytime we measure ourselves against someone else, we lose out on measuring ourselves by the one who actually created us and gave us purpose. Verse 31, Jesus goes on, he says this, If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid, but someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. This is fascinating. Jesus says, it doesn't matter what I say about myself. For those of us who are sometimes in the camp that says, well, I'm going to be who I am. I'm, I'm me. You've got to deal with it. I got to be true to myself. Jesus himself, speaking about his perfect self, was not a fan of that line of thinking. Jesus seemed to think that it was important that someone else be able to speak up for him and to approve that he was who he was supposed to be and was doing what he was supposed to do. But to Jesus, this couldn't just be any random person on the street. It was supposed to be someone else who was living out their purpose and their mission from God. So he says, you sent people to speak to John about me because you believe that John was a man on a mission from God, that John was living out his purpose, that John was righteous before God and righteous before other people. So you sent some. So you sent people to ask John and to investigate and to ask John a whole bunch of questions about me. And let me tell you what, He's, Jesus says to these people, you liked John until John began to speak positively about me. And that should ask you some questions about you. Then he goes on to say this. He says, but I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. He says, the Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. In other words, you want to know if what I'm saying about myself is true? Look at what I do. You want to know if what I'm saying about me is true? Look at what I have done. I'm not just busy saying these things are true about myself. My actions are backing it up. My teaching proves it out. My miracles prove it out. The fact that God has given me the miraculous power to heal and to restore and to make new, like that proves that I am who I came to be, that this is more than just words, that this is actions. I'm not just being who I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Then he says this in verse 37, and the father who sent me has testified about me himself. You've never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, Jesus would say. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, Jesus said, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Jesus says, in, in, in case my word isn't good enough for you, you could choose to trust John. And if John's word wasn't good enough for you, then there's my miracles and my teaching. The power comes, the power behind all of that, it comes from heaven. And if all that isn't good enough for you, my heavenly father pointed to me into the in the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures and approved of me of my baptism when the spirit of God descended on me like a dove and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus says, I have won the approval of my father in heaven. Jesus says, I know who I am. I know whose I am, and I know what I am called to do. I'm confident in my calling. I'm confident in how I'm living it out. I know why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do. I am secure in that. And then Jesus closes this whole thing off with a phrase that if we take it wrong, it could be incredibly dangerous, but if we choose to understand it correctly, it can be one of the most freeing things that you ever understand, that you ever begin to live out. Here's what Jesus said in verse 41. He said, your approval means nothing to me. Your approval means nothing to me. 
because I know that you don't have God's love with you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. So let me read that again. Your approval means nothing to me. Your approval means nothing to me. Matter of fact, if you would, if, if you're watching right now, if you're engaged right now, would you go ahead and type that into the comment section? Your approval means nothing to me. And then don't tag anyone, okay? But Jesus said, your approval means nothing to me because I know that you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. Imagine, just again, imagine for a moment. Imagine for your moment that, that it was you or I in this moment where Jesus has done a really good thing in healing a man who was lame and been unable to walk for 38 years. And people criticize him for it. People question him for it. People are actually angry about him. Some people have just decided because of the first thing that he said after healing that they're going to kill him for it. If that had been any of us, I think there would have been some very, very real emotions and very real reactions on our part because we tend to get so tied and so attached to the feelings of others and the opinions of others and the approval of others. Some of us would get very angry in response. Some of us would get very defensive in response. Some of us would get would start to cry in response. Some of us would hold it inside, learn how to hide your feelings. Don't cry out loud like, like in response, but we would have very emotional response because at the end of the day, our feelings would be hurt. Our, the, what we think other people think of us would hurt. Some of us would think it's time to change our tactics since people aren't buying what we're doing. And Jesus, Jesus did not do any of that. Jesus did not do any of that. Jesus stood rock solid in the face of opposition, and he said, this is who I am. This is who I am supposed to be. This is what I'm called to do. I am living for the approval of God in heaven. I'm living for an audience of one. I am not living for approval from you. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm living for the approval of my Father in heaven, and as much as you don't like it, unfortunately, I am not living for approval from you. And that, that is how Jesus stayed secure. That's how Jesus stayed secure. In an insecure world, in a world that questioned him because he was perfect, Jesus stayed secure. See, isn't that attractive? Like, isn't that something that's actually worth working toward? Isn't that something that's worth changing toward? Isn't that something that's worth giving up what comes naturally to us to receive something better? Isn't that something that even if it takes a long time to get there, it's worth it? Isn't that better than the way that so many of us live? See, here's the thing. If you want to be secure like Jesus, here's where it starts. This is where it starts. The approval of man means little when you're anchored to the approval of God. The approval of man means little when you're anchored to the approval of God. That if you want peace like Jesus at some point in your life, you have to decide in your heart and in your mind what you are going to tether yourself to. Will you live your life tethered to the opinions of other people or will you tether yourself to the opinion and the, and the approval of of God? Will you live for an, for an audience of one? Will you live anchored to an audience of one? Or will you settle for living life trying to please and gain the approval of all kinds of people? See, at the end of the day, you have to make a choice in regards to this about whose opinion and whose approval matters most. And if you want to be secure and to have the type of confidence in who you are and what you're doing in this life that Jesus had and that Jesus demonstrated and Jesus exemplified for us, it only comes when you're tethered and tied to the approval and the calling of your heavenly Father. So let me show you what this looks like and why it's so important to tether yourself 
to the approval and the opinion of our Heavenly Father and not the, the opinions of other people when it comes to your security. See, right here, we've got, we've got a friend, and, and, and his name, is, if you've seen the movie Inside Out, his name is Fear, which is, which is apt. I think it's important. It's, it's, it, it applies to this because, let's be honest, so many of us, we're afraid of the opinions of other people, and that's where some of our insecurity comes from. So we've got Fear, who's a little bit of a scaredy cat. And here we have two, sets, two, two types of rocks. We have, we have a God rock. We have, we have a big rock. We have a big rock. This rock is stable. It's secure. It's bigger than fear itself. It's bigger than, than the person itself. This is something bigger. It's stable, secure. This is a firm foundation. This is truth. This is unmovable. This does not move easily. This is a heavy, large rock. This is the God rock. And when we're tied to this, we can live secure knowing that this is not going to move. Knowing that this, even the fear falls down, that this is not going to shake, that this will not be easily shaken. It is a firm foundation for our lives. But what if, but what if fear decides in his, in his insecurity, what if he decides, you know what? I'm tired of living my life trying to please the big rock. I'm try, tired of trying to please the big rock. It seems like a difficult thing to do. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to tether myself so all these little rocks, see the little rocks represent the people in your life. They represent the people that you're trying to gain approval from. They represent the people that you or I seek approval, seek affirmation, seek the, the a pleasant opinion from. And so I'm going to try to, instead of tethering myself to the opinion and the approval of God, I'm going to anchor myself to the opinions of the people of people. They're little rocks. They're people who are, who are no bigger than, than, than I. These are unstable. I mean, look at these. These move pretty easily. They're insecure themselves. They're insecure. I mean, like, this is so funny. In trying to gain security, trying to gain security, we attach ourselves, we anchor ourselves to the, uh, to the opinions of other insecure people. They're a shaky foundation. I mean, this moves, this gets shaken, this gets shaken. It might be truth. I mean, there might be some truth in the opinions. They're easily moved and they're easily swayed. And here's something that I want to make sure that we understand. No matter how many, no matter how many small rocks you attach yourself to, they will never support and never create a firm enough foundation for you to live your life on. That's why the best move that we can make is to actually anchor, anchor ourselves, to actually tether ourselves to the big rock, to tether ourselves to the firm foundation, to tether ourselves to the only one who is a solid rock, to tether ourselves to the only one who is a rock that cannot be moved and will not be shaken by the world around us and will not be shaken by the opinions of man, will not be shaken by the times, will not be shaken by the culture, will not be shaken by any one. If you want to walk in security, you want to walk in confidence, you want to walk in the world the same way that Jesus walked in the world, the only way to do it is to attach ourselves and hold tightly to the firm foundation, the solid rock, the anchor for our souls that is God himself, our heavenly father. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Here's three, three ideas I, I think we need to pay attention to. First is that you believe that what's most true of you is what God says about you. Believe that what's most true about you is what God says about you. That you are forgiven. You are free. You are called. You are new. You are gifted. You have a purpose. This is what God says about you. And no matter what anyone else says about you, that will always be what's most true about you. 
that you are forgiven and free, you are gifted and you are purposed, that you are living on a mission. And if you haven't figured it out yet, that doesn't mean that you don't have one. It simply means that you are still working to figure it out. You know that what God says about you, about what you were created to be and what you were created to do, that that is what's most true about you. The second thing is that you trust God's will for your life that you trust God's will for life, whether you can understand it, whether you make sense to you, whether you see it and it makes sense, or whether you see it and it looks like it's a complete bonkers show, that whatever, whatever you're walking out, that you trust that God's will is best for your life. Um, Lisa Turkhurst wrote this incredible, this incredible quote, and I don't remember if she wrote this in a book or if this is something that I heard in a, in a, in a talk that she gave. But she said this, trusting God's plan is the only secret I know in the gentle art of not freaking out. Trusting God's plan is the only secret I know in the gentle art of not freaking out. That when so, so often we get insecure and we start freaking out because life doesn't make sense. But when life doesn't make sense, we can trust that God's plan does make sense. And God's will for our lives will always lead us to God's best for us. And then finally, we simply understand this. We live up to God's standard for your life. You want to you live out the security that God has called you to and that Jesus has exemplified for you? You live up to God's standard for your life. And here's the thing, that sounds scary. That sounds scary. Let's be honest, some of you, the idea of measuring yourself against someone else is easier than measuring yourself by God's standard and by God's call on your life. That's why you've chosen it. It's a lower bar to clear. It's easier. But can I tell you something? It might be easier, but you will never feel secure in that. It's time to stop measuring yourself against others and start measuring yourself by the standard that God has called you to and the standard that God has called you to live out. Now, just imagine for a second, just imagine what it would look like if the church got this right. Like, like, if, like if the church got this right, just imagine in a city if one church or, or if just our church got this right where men and women and teenagers and children in our church actually lived secure in what they were called to do and who they were called to be. Like just, like just imagine interacting in, in, the, in a city, in, a, in, a, in an insecure world, the, in, the impact that we could have if we actually lived secure in who God's created us to be, secure in what God's called us to do, that we're living on mission, that we're believing that what God says about us is true about us. We're trusting God's will for our lives, even when life doesn't make sense, that we're trusting God's will for our lives. And we're not measuring ourselves by anyone's approval or anyone's opinion, but God himself. We're measuring ourselves by his standard. Just imagine men and women living that out. I mean, I remember last, last year about this time, there was a quote going around, I think it was from A.W. Tozer, where he said that a, a, a scared world needs a fearless church. If I could just tweak that a little bit and contextualize it for, for, for this moment, for, for 2021, for a world that's insecure, an insecure world needs a confident church. Secure men and women, confident men and women ready to step into the world and step up to be everything God called us to be and, everything, and to do everything that God has called us to do. Imagine the impact that we could have. Imagine the lives that could come to know Jesus as he's seen through our example. Imagine that world. We can make it true. If we decide to live in the calling and live out the calling and live out the purposes that we were created to live and live confident and secure, and who God called us to be, and what God called us to do, and we stay anchored to his approval, not the approval of anyone else. Let me pray for you. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you've created us, that you've called us. Thank you that, that we can have a confidence because of that. We can know you because of that. Thank you that we know you're good because of Jesus' example. Thank you that you sent Jesus to show us what you're like and to be the one who could raise the dead to life. God, for some of us right now, we need to make a decision where we put our trust in what Jesus came to do, that he showed us who you are and what you're like, and he showed us the way to have a new life in you. So God, for those of us who are making that decision right now, would you meet us right where we're at? Would you hear our prayers even as imperfect as they may be? Would you hear our prayers even as, as, as we begin our faith in you? And God, would you restore us? Would you make us new? And God, for all of us, I pray that you would help us to know who you created us to be. Help us to know what you've called us to do. And God, help us to live as if your approval is the only thing that matters. Help us to anchor ourselves to your approval and need no one else's. Help us to live confident and secure knowing that we are tied to the solid rock and the firm foundation of you. So God, give us wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard. Give us the courage to actually live it out. I pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.